Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. sports rivals and first of all happy mother's day to all the moms out there ernie and i would like to wish all the moms out there a very happy mother's day week and ernie let's get started right away gang we're gonna do something fun today we're gonna take a look back at the 2021 draft i know last week's show we spent a lot of time you know grading how how this year's uh draft went but does that really matter does it really matter what we think of what the draft had right after the draft it really doesn't what really matters is when you take a look back at what happened last year and regrade based on the actual productivity this year that's going to be a fun we're going to get to that in a little bit but ernie let's start with the nba the nba playoffs are getting juicy all the series are tight Mm -hmm. there are no blowouts happening here many of them are getting extremely chippy Mm -hmm. let's start first First, with your Celtics, they're down 2-1, right. but they're not out of it by any stretch of the imagination. No, not at all. I mean, Milwaukee, uh, you know, they were able to take that 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 first game, steal the, the first game when, you know, their their trend, the trend for the Milwaukee Bucks was they always played a terrible first game of any series. And they, they just, uh, you know, threw that to the side and they stole one in Boston in, in, in good fashion. Uh, Giannis uh, didn't have a terrific game, but you know he came out there with a triple double. The Boston Celtics shot pathetically from the from the the arc to a tune of uh, overall field goal percentage of like thirty three percent. The Bucks pulled out that first game win uh, by twelve points. In the second game, it was a total opposite. Boston was able to hit from the rim. They were able to keep Giannis in check, although he did have twenty eight points. Uh, Boston goes on to win that second game by uh, 23, I believe. And then the most exciting one was the third game back into Milwaukee, uh, you know, this past uh, Saturday. Uh, Boston came out early. Milwaukee answered back. Uh, Boston put on a, uh, I mean, Milwaukee put on a clinic in the third, you know, with help from Boston with the, the seven turnovers. Again, Giannis had a terrific game, 42 points. Uh, nothing that the Boston Celtics could do to keep him out of the way. He basically played bully ball. If you're a Boston fan just like me, where were the charges? Where were the charges? But you know, that's what that's what makes Giannis great, you know, and it, it's no fault to him. I mean, he's, he's played like that all his life, and he's going to play to what what the referees allowed to do and it is playoff basketball if you're a boston fan you got to remember that's what you guys did that's what we did to the to the brooklyn nets and no one complained back then so it's turnabout is in fair play he's doing what the refs are allowing to do boston has to answer back because you know right now it's it's down to one there game four is in milwaukee if if boston loses this you're going to be down three one it may be over by that time. So it's it's more of a must-game win for Boston. I believe they can do it. I mean, you know, Giannis, like I said, uh, had 42 points, followed by Holiday with 25. Jason Tatum had a terrible game three, 10 points. He was uh, flustered by, 
you know, the defense, mainly Wesley Matthews, uh, hogging them all day. Jalen Brown was, uh, you know, the person who kept Boston in that game three. Well, Jalen Brown has had two brilliant games in a row. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. was unbelievable, in, especially in the first half of game two. I mean, that game was 15-0, I believe, to start the game, and it was never really a contest. But Tatum hasn't gotten on track yet. Nah. So I think as a Boston fan... You know, can Jalen Brown stay as hot as he's been? Maybe, maybe not. But if Tatum can be close to what he was against the Nets, I still think you got to be very, very excited. But Boston, that game two, they shot all their bullets. I mean, everybody was hitting in game two. But you're right. Game four is, is I believe, a must win for the Celtics. It's going to be very difficult to beat them three times in a row, albeit two of them would be in Boston. Um it's going to be interesting. Tomorrow's a big game. Tonight, by the time you guys listen to this, tonight's going to be a big game four for the Celtics. Yeah, and it's going to be who adjusts to the referees. I mean, if Giannis keeps on doing what he's going to do, what is Boston going to answer with? If they keep on doing what they're doing right now, they're going to fail. I mean, they're going to have to literally uh, outshoot uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. And, you know, that that's, that's to me, in my opinion, when you're playing... Uh, on uh, the opponent's home court, that's that's a deficit to you. They're they're gonna have to find a way to do this. Uh, their defense has been great. I have no problem with their defense. It's how they adjust on the offensive side. And if they're gonna let Giannis score forty, they cannot let any of the other Bucks, his complimentary teammates, score anything. Well, I mean, you're talking about a one oh one oh what was it one oh three one oh one I believe was the yeah. score. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Milwaukee went gangbusters and he had forty two points of right. the hundred and three. Exactly. And then. You know, Holiday got 21. So between the two of them, they had literally two-thirds of the points of Mm -hmm. the entire team. And yet they only had 103. So I think from the Celtics have been playing Giannis well. I mean, he was 9 for 25 and 10 for 25 in the first two games. He's getting his stats, but his efficiency is way down from what it normally is. He was 16 for 30 in game three, so he was more Giannis-like. But they're doing a relatively good job on him. It's their offense. You know, when their offense was clicking in game two, they blew them out. And when the offense is struggling in games one and three, um, they're struggling. You know, so which Celtic team are we going to see tomorrow? I don't know if we're going to see the red hot shooting team, but I don't think they need to. They just have to be decent and they're going to be able to pull this off. Yeah, I believe you're, you're exactly right on top of that. I mean, I think if they look at the tape, they don't need an extraordinary game. They just got to play their game. If they can play their game, I think what they did wrong in, in game three to their detriment was they really forced the outlet pass. I mean, they would drive in and they forced the outlet pass. Third quarter, they had seven steals. They could have easily just pulled up, take easy two-point jumpers and take it from there. But no... They tried to get a little too cute, in my opinion. That's how, I mean, they, they were leading by, I believe, five at the half. And by the end of the third quarter, they were down by 10, 12 points. So, you know, and a lot of that was the seven turnovers. So, you know, they, I think they outthink themselves in that game. But, you know, certainly at this point in time, the Bucks have the advantage. They're up two to one. Big game four coming up on Monday night. Still anybody's series to me. Right. And Ernie, that's kind of the theme right now of all of these series. In the game four today, uh, Philadelphia looks inept the first two games without Joel Embiid. They lose convincingly, go down 2-0. He comes back. He clears concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. He comes back with a big mask on his face, does enough 
to give them the confidence to come back. They win the next two, and that's all even at 2-2. And I don't think Philadelphia is out of this by any stretch. Not, I mean, not. I could see them, as long as he stays healthy, um, being able to pull this through. And what was very important for the Sixers is James Harden finally had a good game. He did. 31 points today because, Ernie, I, didn't, I haven't watched a lot of basketball this week because I've had a lot going on. But what I did watch, James Harden looked like a shadow of himself. Everybody that was guarding him was stopping him. He could not get past anyone. Right. Uh, and then he was forcing up shots. And that kind of made it seem like his his uh, abilities had eroded substantially very quickly. But he bounced back today with 31 points. 2-2. Two, two. Who do you like going forward? Boy, that's going to be a good one because the momentum is definitely on Philadelphia's side. Now we go back to the confines of Miami and, you know, uh, you know, their palace of malice over there where they've done so well but i really like what not only harden's done but i like how maxi complements those two in my opinion i mean he is the x factor in this series uh, as much as harden is i did not expect harden to go off and he went and harden went off when it mattered he did it in the third he did it in the fourth quarter when they really needed those three-point buckets especially in this in today's game four so he showed up at, I, I, re, I really thought that, okay, here we go. Harden, uh, you know, lets down in another play, uh, playoff game, but no, he's come back. And Bede will be Embiid. He's just constant. He's a constant force. I don't think Miami has anything to match him. They're just going to have to play that game. And hopefully, you know, the Maxis and the Hardens and whoever Philadelphia, the Tobias Harris has to throw at them, uh, doesn't compliment them that well. I really think that if I were, if, it's basically a best out of three right now. And if I'm taking a best out of three, even though Miami has uh, the home court advantage in those threes, I re- I'm i leaning towards Philadelphia right now. It, it could be. It's anyone's game right now. I love how Maxi's playing. To me, Maxi has become the second best player on the team. And they've been shooting well. Right. Embiid has not played like the MVP candidate Joel Embiid in these last two games. But he's done enough. Right. He's done enough. He's getting around 20 getting 10 or 11 rebounds, uh, and doing enough to create space for the others, including Harden, to excel. Because, again, going back to games one and two, Harden couldn't get past anyone. Mm -hmm. Maxi was the one that was really driving everything. Having Joel Embiid there creates a little bit more space for Harden to succeed. So uh, it's going to be interesting. It would not shock me if Philadelphia comes back and wins this series. But I still got to think Miami's got an advantage going home now that Lowry is back so hopefully Lowry didn't do much today Mm -hmm. maybe getting a game under his belt will make things better Um, but it was all Jimmy Butler today and it wasn't anywhere near enough for the Miami Heat right I I gotta figure that Miami's defense is gonna have to adjust I mean they haven't been playing that uh, that overall team defense I don't know if it's the inclusion of of Struess in in that starting lineup that was a lineup change that was made towards the ending of the regular season uh, him taking uh, uh, Duncan Robinson's, Duncan Robinson's spot on top of there. Duncan Robinson's not playing at all. At all right yeah, now. I mean, so I mean, if they don't want him, they might as well give him to the Lakers because we need shooters. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. I mean, he's getting paid a pretty penny, so you know. But if, if he reverts back to the old Duncan Robinson, yeah, that's that. Well, we'll say that for another podcast. <laughs> yeah. But uh, something's something's uh, awry with that uh, Miami defense. Uh, their offense can still score. I mean, like like you said, Butler came in and and he told, you know, he told that ship today it just wasn't enough. 
I mean, it wasn't enough. So 2-2 two, two, the Sixers and the Heat, 2-1 the Bucks over the Celtics. I still believe Ernie, and I'm sure, I'm guessing you probably agree with this. I still think the Celtic Buck winner is the favorite in the East and will come out of the East um, because I, would, I believe that they're the two best teams right now. I would agree. And the Celtics, they got to jump on this now because if Middleton, rumors are Middleton may be able to come back in six and seven. Who knows what he'll be like in game six and seven if he does come back. But I'd rather not have to deal with that. No, because, I, you know, I'd rather yeah. not have to deal with their no. second clutch player coming back. No, not at all. He's just, proven last year what he yeah. can do. I mean, with, with the, even with that MCL, mm-hmm. you don't need him driving. Just place him on the, you know, the outside mm-hmm. and slam, shoot those threes when appropriate. And that's all you need him to do. And, and that man is just clutch. Yeah, he really is. So what I didn't understand, and I still for the life of me don't understand why they did it this way in terms of the scheduling. But you had the Celtics and the Bucks. And the Warriors and and the um, Memphis Grizzlies with a four day break mm-hmm. within that series, while Phoenix and Dallas, as well as the Heat and Sixers, had to play every two games. Mm-hmm. I don't understand this at all. I don't know why why they gave uh, one group of teams a four day rest and the other ones have to continue to play. But in the West, that seemed to have, have an impact. On the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns had a very efficient first two games, really controlled the first two games. They went into Dallas, and Chris Paul played as badly as possible the last two games. Seven turnovers in the first half in game three. Fouled out today after playing only 23 minutes. When was the last time he fouled out? I mean, and Dallas is right back in it at 2-2 with a lot of momentum, a lot of energy. You've been high on the Mavericks. You've been you've been praising them all year in terms of their defense, and Jason Kidd's got them playing amazing. It's all even with the number one seed Suns at full strength with the Mavericks. It, it is, and and you know what? All kudos to Jason Kidd, in my opinion, on 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 today's win. I mean, boy, his game plan was executed to a T. I mean, uh, to get. Chris Paul, I mean, there is something that's wrong. I mean, that man does not turn over the ball. And to have seven, you know, in game three and then again now falling out, I mean, they, Jason Kidd's got Chris Paul's number. I don't know if it's because they played with each other at one point, point in time and he just knows the dynamics of, of how Chris Paul plays, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's unreal. I like the Dallas Mavericks because, not that Phoenix has a bad defense, but Dallas's defense has proven to me uh, that they are a superior defense, you know, better, better than, uh, team-wise, better than Philadelphia, uh, I mean, the, the Phoenix, Phoenix Suns. Suns, because, and I say this because, they've done it over a longer period of time. Yeah, Those, I mean, they've been a real good defensive yeah, team all season long. Yeah, all yeah. season long, and, and, and a lot of people say that with a lot of teams, oh, they're going to turn it on in the playoffs. Yeah, you can turn it on in the playoffs, but you don't have that continuity. You have to play it over weeks and sometimes months. And what's encouraging about today's win by Dallas, it wasn't Luka carrying them. Luka was Luka, mm-hmm. but it was the rest of the team. I mean, Finney Smith went off. The, you know, Kleber uh, and Bertans both went off, you know, especially in the first half when they got a big lead. They shot the ball. At halftime, they were shooting 67% from three. They were shooting 58%, you know, uh, from the field. And in the last two games... The Phoenix Suns had shot 50% or better in all seven playoff games until the last two. 
and Dallas has held them under 50% for two straight games. And and Phoenix is in for a dogfight. I mean, game five is critical. If Dallas steals game five, it could be lights out for the Suns. I, I agree, Anton. I agree with that. To me, that's a must win for Phoenix. Dallas is just on a roll. It's going to be the same with Philly, Philly and it's going to be the same uh, with uh, Boston or Milwaukee. I mean, to me, the next game for all three of those teams is going to hold a real advantage, you know, going into the remaining games of the series. So let's talk about the series. I mean, if you're a fan of the Heat or the Sixers or like Ernie the Celtics or the Bucks or of the Mavs or the Suns, of course, your particular series is probably the most interesting. For the rest of us, Laker fans, etc., the Golden State Warriors Memphis series has been riveting. The, Brutal. <laughs> I mean, the first two games, 117 to 116, uh, the, the Warriors pull it out. The second game, John Moran goes for 47 points down the stretch, carries them. Golden State bounces back with great shooting and with a 30-point win. But Ernie, it is the chippiness, the physical play, the injuries, the fouls. Um, the ejections. Been, I mean, you know, Draymond gets ejected in game one. Dylan Brooks comes back. I believe there was a cheap shot, you know, because it was from the back. He didn't even really jump. Right. And it resulted in a broken arm right. for, for the Phoenix Sun player. He gets ejected three minutes into the game. Subsequently, he gets suspended for game three. Right. Then the controversy in game three does is Jordan Poole's uh foul on John Moran that causes a tweak in his knee injury is that flagrant well the NBA has ruled that it's not right um but it certainly has ratcheted up the rhetoric between the two teams and I'm riveted to see what happens tomorrow I mean is it going to continue to be dirty or if the referees are smart they're going to come early and call the game tight giving technical fouls because if not, this could get out of control. It is. I mean, if you're a conspiracy theorist, this is the series for you. I mean, uh, you know, it wasn't on purpose. What, what was it not? Uh, was it in the, you know, was it in the, was it within code, as Steve Kerr would say? Uh, there, is, there is a lot of non-basketball issues happening in this particular season, which add, which basically adds to the drama. I mean, uh it's it's an interesting series from that point, but from a from a two one standpoint that that favors the Golden State Warriors with the probability that John Morant is not going to be a hundred percent. If if available word today, Memphis is saying that yeah. he's unlikely to play. Yeah. But I was I was telling Ernie off the air that I think that might be just a little bit of gamemanship trying to coax a suspension uh, out of you know uh, Jordan Poole. That's not going to happen. But it'd be a shame. Because John Morant's been brilliant. Mm-hmm. He's been incredible this series. So it'd be a shame if he's unable to play. If he's unable to play, it's over, in my opinion. In your Wow, okay. To me, they can duplicate that with, with Clay and Curry. I think it's just a notch up on top of that. Not that they play exactly the same game. I think Curry's a little bit more, uh, more faceted as far as his passing and shooting is concerned. It's just a matter of all of them being on the same page. And, you know, in the prior series... We saw that. I mean, yeah. in the opening series, Golden State, uh, you know, put that on display. This series is going to be, I am surprised in my opinion. I didn't think Memphis was mature enough. I mean, they got a really a lot of young bucks in John Morant and Desmond Bain. 
a lot of a lot of youth on that team. I didn't very think, young. Team. I did, the youngest team in the NBA. Yeah, I did not think that they would have the wherewithal to you know to know how to adjust their games in these times. And here we stand. I mean, uh, one more game. You know, they 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 can they can tie it all up in the next series. And Ernie, you know what's been really surprising is in the first series, Patrick Beverly did an amazing job on John Moran. He mm-hmm. made it hard on him the entire series. Desmond Bain really carried them in that first series. His back has been injured. He's been a shell of himself for the first three games. And you've essentially played without Dylan Brooks for two full games. Mm -hmm. And they're giving him everything that they can handle. Jaron Jackson has exploded. He's played well. Brandon Clark's continuing to play well. And John Moran has been the as, as talented as the Golden State's trio of guards are. John Morant's been the best player in this series over the first three games. Um, credit to Memphis. They are determined not to let Golden State push them around. Um, we'll see. I mean, yeah. game four is going to be exciting tomorrow. All I know is Jordan Poole continues to shine. Um, Golden State's going to have a decision to make. Do they want to trade Jordan Poole for LeBron James in the offseason? <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Poole, Kaminga, and Klay Thompson for LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I put it out there right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, a, a little too early for the trade talk for the Golden State Warriors. But, uh, you know, if, if I'm going to throw in my two cents, it might be Klay Thompson. I'm just <laughs> saying that. You know, I, I, I really like what Poole's done. I, and, and I think this is just the start of it. You know, uh, you got youth. I mean, his contract is, you know, way more, way better than... And, and it's not just his shooting. His playmaking ability is so much better. I mean, I got a shot. I mean, my daughter has been a Jordan Poole fan since he hit the game-winning shot as a freshman in Michigan. And he has to have been, when he was drafted by Golden State in the first round, I was very surprised he went in the first round. But his rookie year through the first part of his second year... He had to have been one of the worst NBA rookies in history. He was brutal. He was shooting like 20%. The only reason he was playing is Curry was out and Clay was out. But something happened the second half of last year. Going into the G League, he came back confident. And now he's a star. Bordering on becoming a superstar in these playoffs. It's incredible. I agree. I agree. Something something hit the... Something... You know, finally turned on the lights on top of that. And I saw it firsthand when Curry got hurt. Uh, the infamous Marcus Smart diving to the ground, injured Curry. And then here came Jordan Poole. And you know what? Jordan Poole played better than Curry. Because <laughs> that was in the first quarter. And you would have never thought Curry left the game. I mean, the way he, he lit it up. Yeah, so I'm excited for tomorrow. I mean, I think game four is going to be an incredible. Uh, it's going to be exciting. I still think Golden State, especially if John Moran is nicked up, even if he plays, if he's compromised, it's going to be very difficult for Memphis to come out of that. Yeah. But tomorrow's a big day. Can Golden State go up 3-1? And can your Celtics come back and make it 2-2? Um, first round of the playoffs... Mostly blowouts. Mm-hmm. Second round, riveting basketball. Yeah, if I, you're an NBA playoff fan, this has got to be perfect. All of them could go seven games. Uh, I, I, I agree on top of that. All of them, I mean, the least likely would be that Memphis one that really hangs on John Morant's uh, you know, health status. But you're, you're correct. I mean, if he's 100%, I actually counted them out. I, I thought it, it might go five at the most. 
you know, I, mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was a sweep, but, you know, uh, apolo uh, apologies to, you know, any Memphis fan out there. I mean, your team is is way ahead of scheduling in my book. Yeah, so by next week's show, we're going to know what's who's going to be in the Eastern Finals and the Western Finals. But Ernie, right now, let's shift gears uh, to the NFL. So, gang, in the, in the opening, I kind of hinted as to what we're going to do. So we spent a lot of time pre premiering the draft. We did a mock draft, and last week we did our draft recap show. And it's exciting because it gives all 32 teams hope. After the draft, all 32 teams think they have a shot to make it to the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. But when you take a look back a year later as to the actual results of the draft and how the players drafted actually panned out, sometimes it's polar opposites. You know, some teams that got A grades, their players didn't quite show up. So we're going to highlight this. We're going to kind of go through some of these with you. Um, so Ernie, I'm going to turn it over to you. Mm -hmm. Which team, and gang, we're going to reference this. So if you want to take a look at it, you can go later. NFL.com slash new slash backslash 2021 NFL rookie class. They give you awesome information there. Every draft pick, how many games they played, how many starts they had. But the number one graded team, Ernie, looking back, was the... Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. I mean, I, and I hate them for it because... I think we both hate them for it because this has more to do with their second round pick than their first round pick. And I'm talking about Creed Humphrey, Humphrey the, the fabulous center out there. I mean, you know, start all 17 starts. I mean... What was he? All pro. <laughs> yeah, he was second team all pro. He was a pro bowler. Uh, yeah, and the Steelers needed a center. They vied to pass on him. They had a chance on him in the second. They actually picked up their center in the third round, and they're still deciding on if that was the right pick or not, while Kansas City is just basking in their glory of their second round pick. Not to say that their first round pick, uh, Nick Bolton, was was bad. He was a start. He played, all six, he played 16 games at 12 of those starts, but that eight... Great lands on Creed Humphrey. Well, it lands on Creed Humphrey, and it lands on what they got from Trey Smith, a sixth-round offensive guard that started all games uh, in the season as well. See, Trey Smith had a relatively high grade, but health concerns dropped him to the sixth round. Kansas City took a chance, and then they got two what looks to be 10-year starting offensive linemen. Now, when you reference Creed Humphrey and the Pittsburgh Steelers, at least you got... Freermuth in the second round instead of drafting Creed Humphrey. So right. you got Harris and you got Freermuth. Right. We got Tutu Atwell. <laughs> <laughs> we drafted Tutu Atwell over Creed Humphrey. Oh my goodness. And we still won the Super Bowl. So thank you for that. <laughs> in spite of Tutu. In spite of that. So last year, Kansas City had a grade of an A minus. So they bump up to an A as a top overall draft class relative to, I think, where people got drafted. But Ernie, what do you got next? What is a, the next team on your list? The next team would be the Denver Broncos. I mean, they're coming in with an A minus. They hit it. They hit the, the nail on the head with Patrick Sertain, uh, quarter, uh, cornerback out there. I mean, 15 starts. Uh, they had a really good, solid third-round pick. They got offensive guard Quinn uh, Miners as well as uh, linebacker Baron Browning, both of them starting half of the games. Uh, so very pro good production from their first and third round. Uh, all of their draft picks made the team, and they played in at, at least uh, snaps during the year so 
uh, Denver Broncos coming out with an A minus. Well, Denver Broncos had a B plus grade last year, and we got a reference. This. If you guys actually go to this site, these guys definitely grade without a curve. I mean, it's like a public. Ernie referenced this correctly. He said it's like public school education where everybody gets A's because the grading was very very positive yes. from yeah. last year. But in this particular draft, I really like what the Broncos did even better than the Chiefs because. Patrick Sertain is going to be a 10-year Pro Bowl caliber player, mm-hmm. but Javante Williams is going to be a star. I think this year he really breaks out. I think he's going to have a Jonathan Taylor-like impact wow. with the Denver Broncos as Russell Wilson comes in. I think you're going to see Javante Williams explode. I think um, they're, the third, two third-round picks are going to be starters this year, mm-hmm. and then the rest provide depth. But if you can have a Pro Bowl caliber player in the first round and the second round and solid starters in the third round, that's a great draft. So I like what the Broncos did in retrospect. What do you got next? Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins with their sixth pick in the 2021 draft choose Jalen Waddle. He had 16 starts, was the number one target for Tua Tungvaluwa. They also got uh, a second number one draft pick outside linebacker Jalen Phillips with the number 18th pick. Uh, their second round, second second round pick, offensive tackle Liam Eichelberg. A solid starter, 16, 16 out of the 17 games. Again, most of their uh, uh, drafts uh, made the team. They even got one uh, unrestricted, uh, non-drafted uh, free, agent. free agent, Robert Jones, offensive guard. And even he had a start, so terrific. Terrific haul for the Miami Dolphins. Well, Miami had a great of, of an A last year. They continued that. Jalen Waddle had an incredible season. Jalen Phillips really came on strong at the end when Miami really took a step up. Javon Holland as well played really well as a safety. I'm not sure Eichenberg is going to have a starting position after the overhaul Miami did in the offseason with the free agency. But I think he was part of... He started 16 out of 17 games. He played a lot as a rookie. But they had the worst offensive line in the entire NFL. True, so I'm not true. sure how much of a benefit uh, he was there. But Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips, and Javon Holland definitely gave uh, Miami three quality players in the first three picks. So what do you got going next? Detroit, The Detroit Lions come in with an A-. Uh, that's led by offensive tackle Pine Sewell, number seven, picking the first round. Another Pro Bowl, uh, probably a Pro Bowler for the next 10 to 15 years. He yeah, was brilliant in yeah, his rookie year. Yeah, but they had, a lot, they had a lot of rookies play this year. I don't know if that's just due to the fact that they had... They, they saw? Had a, yeah, they had... A, <laughs> you, you're, well, look at how yeah, many exactly. undrafted free agents had quality time. I mean, they had four of them that had starts this year. Oh, yeah. Jerry Jacobs, cornerback, he had nine starts just by himself and their tight end Brock uh, Brock White uh, Wright had five starts over there so and those for and that's just one out of one out of seven undrafted free agents that they had so I again think, I think the whole success of this Detroit draft is Panay Sewell is going to be a pro bowler right. and Amon Ray St. Brown was so much better than expected as a fourth round draft pick as a wide receiver one of the best receivers in the NFL the last half of the year. He really blossomed in the second half of the year. So if you have Sewell and you have St. Brown being real stars in the making, I think that bodes well for the Detroit Lions because Mm -hmm. they need all the help that they can get. 
Well, they did have a great draft this year, so maybe you can back-to-back good drafts. You never know. Maybe yeah, they turn it know. around. You never know. Okay, what's next, Ernie? Uh, Cincinnati Bengals, A minus. One word. No, one, one person's name. Jamar Chase. Absolutely. I mean, it's all about Jamar Chase in terms of 17 games, 17 starts, Pro Bowl, All Pro. I mean, one of the most incredible rookie wide receiver seasons in NFL history. History, It's all about him. And then I got to give props to the fifth round pick, Evan McPherson kicker, hit every big (laughs) kick down the stretch in the playoffs. That's true. He was key as a fifth round draft pick, but it's all about Jamar Chase. And I think Evan McPherson as well. I, I got to agree with you on top of that. And, and, and kudos to you for mentioning the kicker because I totally forgot about him. But after that becomes the New England Patriots, which I have some, some uh, reservations, reservations on sure top of this. I'm not sure they're the sixth best draft in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, Mark, uh, Mac Jones started. If, if you were to give me this grade uh, after the 10th game of the season, I would probably say, okay, maybe. Uh, but boy, did he kind of like show his hand during the second half when all the NFL teams kind of figured him out. So I have reservations. NFL.com gave him an A minus. I would kind of lower this down to a B plus. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, Mac Jones was probably the best of the rookie quarterback class. I'm not sure if that's by default or not, but I think he had the most productivity and I think he played the best. Um, Christian Barmore, I think, is going to be a star. I think he had his moments. Uh, Belichick doesn't tend to start defensive players. I think Barmore is going to be solid. And and don't sleep on uh, Ramondre Stevenson. He only started two games. He played in 12. But that fourth-round running back, I believe, is going to be the starter in New England this year. So... Um, I think a, I think having the six best class is probably a little bit too lenient, but I kind of get it from the perspective that Mac Jones is the best quarterback. I think Barmore and Stevenson have a chance to be very, very productive NFL players. Okay, okay. And what do you got next? I got the Dallas Cowboys with an A minus again. One name on top of there, defensive rookie player. Of the, and this guy didn't have to be. He, he, he was vying for defensive player of the year at one point in time. Micah Parsons, linebacker, number 12 pick for the Dallas Cowboys. I hate the Dallas Cowboys, and I hate that they got an A-. minus. Oh, I mean, it's, it is all about Micah Parsons. He had one of the greatest uh, defensive rookie seasons in NFL history. I would think it's probably top three. I think Lawrence Taylor, of course, Aaron Donald, and Micah Parsons are probably the three greatest rookie defensive seasons. And then they got a lot of productivity out of their defensive tackle in the third round. I'm not even going to pretend. I don't want to butcher his last name, but his first name is Osa. The defensive tackle (laughs) started 12 games for them. But this ranking is really, truly all about Micah Parsons because many of their draft picks didn't even play or certainly they didn't start, but they rarely played. So uh, D- Dallas is riding number seven strictly because they, they got a superstar. Yeah, number eight, we got the Cleveland Browns. Where NFL.com uh, has the Cleveland Browns. They graded their draft as a B plus. I would have to say it's going to be a B Maybe even a B minus for for me. Well, I the mean, fact that Ernie even gives them a B is shocking because he is uh, <laughs> not the biggest Cleveland Browns fan. I'm actually surprised at this grade as well. I mean, Greg Newsom was, I mean, he started, he was okay. 
JOK, I think, you know, was better than expected. I mean, he dropped in the draft. We talked about that last year. Yeah. Why did he drop to yeah. 52? He's like the Kobe Dean of this year. That's what I think. Um, so I think those top two, I think, were well. And Schwartz is going to be expected to really bounce in this year with everybody leaving. But this seems a little high to me in retrospect based on the productivity that Newsom uh, and then Schwartz and JOK gave Yeah, them. I mean, they're solid starters. I mean, let it be the Cleveland Browns pick number 20, 26 in the first round, 52nd pick in the second round. So you're not expected to get uh, overall uh, great players at that, you know, at those picking spots. But to give them a B plus, I think that's uh, a little generous. I would give them a B, B minus. Well, next on the list, I believe had, you know, when you, when you look in retrospect, they had a really good draft. Hmm? Devontae Smith is going to be a solid wide receiver, yes. started 16 games. Landon Dickerson, their second-round pick, a solid starter. He started 13 games. Then you had Kenneth Gainwell in round five, played a lot. Only started five games, but played a lot as, at running back for them. Um, but Smith and Dickerson look to be 10-year starters for the Eagles. I agree. And if Devontae Smith really had, uh, I mean, nothing against Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was his college quarterback. I think there was a continuity factor over there, but he's not really the type of quarterback that really complements the type of receiver Devontae Smith is. You know, uh, I believe, uh, you know, there are other systems that he would have flourished more in. So give him props for being the number 10th pick in the NFL draft. I think he's, you know, what he did in college, I think really, I, I was worried for him. The guy was is just slight and he handled through, like you said, he had 16 starts. I really thought this guy wouldn't last eight, nine games. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So, Ernie, why don't we do this? Because we don't want to go through every single team. I'm going to jump to the Steelers. Okay. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go in reverse. We'll, we'll, we'll look at the Steelers and the Rams because we're Ernie's a Steeler fan. I'm a Rams fan. But I'm going to go to the bottom. I want to look at who are the worst rated draft classes and how that went back to last year. But let's jump to the Steelers, sure. who I believe came in at number 12 on this list. Um, what were your overall thoughts? They got a B. They got it year. wrong. They got it wrong. <laughs> they got it. I'm telling you, they got it wrong. Najee Harris was what did what was he number one in the NFL as far as number of touches? Uh, Seventeen starts. That guy was the workhorse. I mean, the Steelers had a terrible offensive line. If you saw that that guy averaged at least two yards after contact. Well, I think what you just said there is why they're ranked number 12. Because their third and fourth round picks started 15 and 16 games on that offensive line. That's true. And I think so that's probably where it negates. Because their first two picks, Harris and Furmuth, are stars. Yeah. They're stars in the making. And I still believe in Kendrick Green. I don't know a lot about Dan Moore, um, but it's hard to be a tackle. But I think Kendrick Green is going to be a solid player for them. Yeah, I mean, the knock on him was that uh, his arms were too short and he wasn't used to the type of rush that was coming up the middle. I think they're going to account for that in regards to how they pass block uh, ongoing. Dan Moore was actually really solid. I and mean, he started off struggling I think by uh, on his grading from Pro Football Focus, he was one of the top, if not the top, rookie offensive linemen out there on the second half of the season. He he really he allowed for the Pittsburgh Steelers to actually let go their projected number one starter from last season. Uh, 
because of injury. Uh, so that's how good uh, Dan Moore uh, did. But uh, B, that's an A minus, folks. It's an especially A-. <laughs> if they came in ranked under the Bengals and under the Browns. Exactly. That's not going to go well. So we're going to get to the Rams, but we're going to drop to the bottom because that's exactly where my Rams are going to be. But let's start with the team that had the lowest grade, which is the Seattle Seahawks with a class grade of D. But Ernie, let's be fair. They had three picks. They had a second round pick, a fourth round pick, and a sixth round pick. None of them, you know, they had Trey Brown, a cornerback, started three games, but combined um, they played 25 games total. Um, so the Seahawks were the worst. I'm not sure there's a whole lot we have to say about this. They had a ton of picks this year because they traded Russell right, Wilson, right. but last year was a complete disaster. Yeah, I mean you can't do you can't do too too much. I mean for for uh, I mean yes, the second round pick should have been a viable starter, but you're gonna miss on some of those. I mean when you only have three picks. Uh, this is the result of your grade. Now, Tennessee had a good grade after last year's draft, but the production of the players, some because of injury, some because of other things, right. um, left little to be desired. They yeah. come in with a D-plus. Caleb Farley, their number one pick, plays only three games, started once. Dylan Rodunz, their second-round pick, has one start, plays in 12 games. Um, then their third-round picks, I mean, Elijah Molden in the third round had the most starts with seven. But I think Rashad Weaver, who I thought was going to be better, barely played. Um, overall, I get this. Tennessee with a D plus, yet they still were the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to, to crack a veteran-led team. If you're going to be like the Detroit Lions and really have that team where it gives you more opportunity, to, you can't really, uh, you know, when you match draft for draft, uh, have the Tennessee Titans with all these rookies out there trying to bust that uh, you know that starting line? It's going to be a lot more difficult. And Caleb Farley, I still believe in him. You know, he, he, he well, he, he's going to really. They're going to really count on a number of these guys to have to be productive yeah. this year. Yeah, he's. I, I believe in him. D plus for now. I agree with the grade, but I think this has. Uh, if we relook at this in maybe a year or so, it, it'll it'll probably be better. Okay, so the number thirtieth ranked team is the Indianapolis Colts, and they essentially they had a D plus. They essentially had one player that they drafted that did anything, uh, and that was first round pick Quiddy Pay, who started fifteen times in fifteen games. Practically no one else was very productive for them the entire year. Yeah, I agree. I think they, I mean, and, and they had a they had a pick in every round except the third. So uh, nothing like the Seattle Seahawks situation. They should have done a lot better than what they did. Well, and the fourth worst team with a grade, again, of a D plus is your Super Bowl champion, Los Angeles Rams. So, yeah, that 2-2 at well. <laughs> You know what? Hopefully he has a chip on his shoulder. I've read a lot about him being sick and tired of hearing all the negativity in regards to him this year. So hopefully he'll respond. Um, But that Tutu Atwell pick just really leaves a crutch in a lot of Los Angeles Rams fans. But Ernest Jones in round three is looking like he's going to be a star. He started the last seven games, is just an incredibly instinctive player. 
combining him with Bobby Wagner now is going to turn that middle of the Rams defense into a strength. Bobby Brown did nothing. Robert Rochelle had some starts. I think the Rams expect big things out of Robert Rochelle. I think he's going to step into Darius uh, Williams' spot. Darius Williams left as a free agent for Jacksonville. They're counting on him to start. Jacob Harris didn't do anything before tearing his ACL. Ernest Brown from Northwestern literally did nothing. He never appeared on the active roster. Uh, and then in the seventh round, we got three guys. Jake Funt, that is more of a special team guy. Ben Skoranek, that his claim to fame is all the drops in the playoffs that he had. Uh, and then Chris Garrett, who uh, pretty much had a redshirt year. So the Rams didn't get much other than Ernest Jones this year. But many of these players are going to be counted on this year. Bobby Brown's going to be counted on. Rochelle's going to be counted on. Ernest Jones, Tutu Atwell are certainly going to be counted on. And Chris Garrett is going to be counted on to replace Von Miller. So if the Rams have a chance of repeating, this draft class is going to have to be significantly better. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it part, it's by and part because of the free agent acquisitions that they're getting in, in, in return. I mean, you had a second round pick, a third round pick, and a fourth round pick. Uh, this... Uh, in this draft class, you have a third round. You don't have a first or a second round pick. And those are due to the acquisitions of free agent signings. So if you add on those pieces on top of this draft, I don't see... I mean, it, 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 it tells, tells for itself. The Rams were the Super Bowl champions. So well, I think you, if, if you factor in last year's first round pick, Jalen Ramsey, and, um, and also... Matt Stafford right you know that changes the grading but if you go strictly by the players D plus I, I totally get that now last year the team that had the number one pick had a draft grade of A but as you can imagine they were the number one pick again this year so mm -hmm. that didn't work out well they had a C minus grade what are your thoughts on the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, incomplete and incompetence I use those two words <laughs> incomplete because Travis Etienne who was the 20th uh, 25th pick did not play at uh, at all and he is a very versatile running back uh, very elusive runner as well as great pass catcher out of the backfield Trevor Lawrence had basically no time to throw. I mean, he his offensive line is basically Swiss cheese. And he was led by a coach that couldn't even last half of a season. Yeah. I mean, the the ongoings of that particular coaching hire in Urban Meyer was just a disaster in itself. Uh, with all that commotion, how could he build continuity? So again, uh, incompetence, incomplete. I reserved the, the current grade of C- minus until at least half of the season in 2022. I agree with you. I think this is going to be a better graded draft after this year than it was last year. I still believe Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I'm not going to stop believing that he's one of the best NFL quarterback prospects in recent memory. Yeah. He went into a situation that was a disaster, but it was even more of a disaster than any of us even realized mm -hmm. uh, with the Urban Meyer situation. Now he's got Peterson as his coach. ETN will come back. I believe in Tyson Campbell. He started 14 games. Uh, you know, Darius Williams is there now, so I think they're going to make a good tandem there. And Walker Little, I think, has the potential to be a solid tackle. Um, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars draft is going to take a leap in year two versus the productivity that they got in, in year one. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay, so gang, that's all we're going to do. We did the top 10. We did the Steelers at number 12, and then we did the bottom five, which included my Los Angeles Rams. So it's pretty interesting. Again, the NFL draft creates hope 
32 teams on Monday of last week believed that they had a chance for the Super Bowl this year because of the players that they drafted. I know Ernie does. I know Ernie thinks that the Steelers are dead set ready for the Super Bowl. Um, my Rams really didn't get anyone that we know of. I still think they're going to the Super Bowl this year. But that's the fun of this. But again, when you take a look back a year later in retrospect, sometimes what you think is an A is not. And sometimes what you think is a C hits a home run. So that's really interesting. We thought we'd spend 20 minutes or so going through that. Hope you enjoyed that. I'm going to turn it over to Ernie for his closing thought. My, yeah, my, my, my closing thought is, you know, and this is going to be on a personal side. I mean, a lot of you obviously who listen to this show are are avid sports fans part of for me in this digital age part of being a sports fan is being being interactive being interactive in as far as going into you know the websites watching youtube videos in regards to instant reactions coming from the media in regards to your team playing a particular game or you know uh some insights into upcoming contests for me my my thought today is just going to be and it's going to be for fun because this is it, it, it's part of it. it it's basically uh, the interaction between uh, fans of other sports teams via, via the medium of YouTube or Twitter or whatever you use, Instagram, however you follow your sports team, uh, however you like to do it. Uh, as long as you have fun doing it, do it. My advice to you, though is take it with a grain of salt because however passionate you are with your team that person on the other side is just as passionate or even even more so i was telling uh monty off the air that i put a comment in regard immediately after the boston celtics game with the milwaukee bucks and i put a lot of comment out there Giannis antetokounmpo scores 42 Drew Holiday scores 25. Jason Tatum only scores 10 points, yet the Boston Celtics only lose by two points. Boston Celtics fans should not hang their head. Lo and behold, the next morning I wake up to a slew of messages on my computer telling me how much of an idiot I am in coming to those conclusions that the Boston Celtics should have lost by 35 points because the referees were basically on their side the entire game, that the Milwaukee Bucks did not have a free throw in the last 16 minutes, and that, you know, that I should, uh, that I should just basically, you know, crawl under the bed and wait for next season. <laughs> well, fortunately, your wife wasn't one of those that were on there calling you an idiot. So it really doesn't matter what these people are saying. But you're right. I mean, there's so much passion. I mean, everybody always says all the time, the word fanatic, that's where fan comes from. It, right. it is from fanaticism. Um, and it's the more intense, the further you get into a season and the playoffs bring out the, the most intense it's, it's, passion and feelings and bigger from people. So I look forward to your dialogue of what's going to happen tomorrow with uh, these yeah. Milwaukee Bucks well, fans. And it's just not the Milwaukee Bucks fans. My, my most heated arguments are actually arguing with fellow Boston Celtics fans. You know, when they say, oh, we're going to lose this series or, or you know what? The, the X factor in this game is this particular player. When I say no, it's not the X factor. When there's talk about Jalen Brown and and uh, Jason Tatum, they, they got to split up. I had an argument where uh, 
one fan basically said, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are the most toxic duo in the NBA. Well, here I am reading that and I just respond and I swear, this going, no one wanted to have, everyone, uh, both parties wanted to have the last word. So this went on. I, I, it must have been 20 correspondences over a, <laughs> over a three-day period. Hey, <laughs> in, and and that's what social media <laughs> and passion and fanaticism does to you. But Ernie, I got to say, as a Los Angeles Ram fan, I can't agree with you more. Boston Celtic fans are the stupidest fans <laughs> in the world. So that doesn't surprise me that you're having problems with your own people. No, it, it is. But you know what? I, I, I enjoy it. And you know what? If I put a comment out there that would have been conservative, not to elicit any response, I, it, w- it wouldn't be fun. It really, it wouldn't be fun. So uh, it, this allows you to basically raise your hand and be a voice without having, you know, uh, without having to, you know, be looked upon in the eye of the masses as an as an idiot you can speak freely i mean there's a lot of fans out there who just come on they they just basically uh want to hurt you uh from the written word (laughs) well but ernie i i think a a year and a half ago when we conceptualized the sports rivals right what you're talking about is exactly what we hope to accomplish from this podcast to solicit opinions to have it be a dialogue where it's not just you and I talking mm-hmm. you know I know I, I know we started in the realm of maybe first take where we're constantly going after each other in terms of opinions but I think it's evolved a little bit more where it's more of a sports discussion show mm-hmm. than it is a sports rivals but we certainly want that participation we certainly want to solicit the feedback the dialogue the opinions um the fanaticism that makes sports such a wonderful thing. So before I turn it back to you, again, guys, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, Sports Rivals Podcast on Facebook and in Instagram. Let us know your thoughts. Let's go at it. Let's 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 see if we can make Ernie speechless. Let's see if we can communicate with Ernie over a three-day period 20 times. <laughs> let's see if we can bring out more of the idiotic Boston Celtic fans. Uh, I think we can do that on our social media pages. Yeah, and back I, to you, Ernie. Yeah, and, and, and I love it. I love it. I think we both love it. I mean, yeah, yes, we're going to be defensive, especially about our teams, and that's where Sports Rivals comes from. I mean, you're a Lakers fan, and if you're a Lakers fan, you can't be a Boston Celtics But no one's fan. been harder on the Lakers than me, I think, this year. I mean, I've treated everybody about 10 times already. I have, there's nobody that's off, that's not uh, off limits for the Lakers. For right, me. right. But that's, I mean, that's basically how we got this pod started. I mean, we, we're, we both are passionate about our, our sports teams, you know, not only in foot, uh, in, in, in basketball, Basketball, but football and whatever sports lie out there, uh, but it's 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 just a way to you know co- again convey what we love, what we uh, know about the game. We're not always right. I mean, I would I I when I'm wrong and I know I'm wrong, and the uh, the person on the other side of that computer is actually speaking facts. I'll let him. I'll give them that person props. I I I am not that uh, type of person who. You know, thinks I'm right 100% of the time. I like I like to see different perspectives. When I go on YouTube, I don't like it when, like you you mentioned, first take, or something like uh, uh, when Shannon Skip Bayless and, uh, and, it, and it, it, Shannon exactly Sharp. those types of shows where one one pundit is pitted against the other, 
and we don't know from behind the scenes if they're actually on the same side. They do that for the sake of drawing interest. What I do is I look at a Boston Celtic website or, or podcast, then I'll go to a Milwaukee YouTube podcast because I want to see both sides. I want to see the perspective of both sides. I don't want something manufactured. I enjoy that a little bit more. And I'll go onto their site and I'll write something nice and I know the next day I'm going to get a response. But I try to be nice about it, but I try to give solid facts knowing that I'm going to get irrational responses back. But that's part of it. That's part of the fun. I love it. Well, I mean, you're irrational almost all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just be the fact that you're a Celtic fan and a Steeler fan. I mean, I, I, I give them grief. And as a Laker fan, I've, I've literally hated the Celtics my entire life. I, Ernie knows this. Uh, way back when I was in college, the Lakers uh, played here locally where we're at in a preseason game. And one Danny Angels, not playing for the Celtics, he had been cast to, to the, the uh, Sacramento Kings, oh, Kings at the time. Okay. Um, and I spent the whole preseason game yelling at Danny Ainge like a complete idiot to the point where Jerry West turned around and looked at me like I should be on winning time right now because I was the cycle that they're portraying Jerry West to be. But that's how passionate I was against the Celtics my entire life until this year. This is the first time that I that they're likable enough. Um, and it, it helps that the Rams have won and the Dodgers have won and the Lakers have won. I want Ernie to, to win one because the Steelers aren't going to win because the Rams are going to win again. So hopefully the Celtics will get one for him. But, but you're right, Ernie. I mean, the, the fun of sports and the fun of social media and sports and the fun of this podcast is interacting with fans and interacting with the public and getting solicited feedback. And we do not care if we are wrong if you think we're wrong yes. that makes it fun yeah you know we're we're here to learn we're here to hear perspectives we're here to be uh, fans like everyone else where we admit we're probably not going to be the most biased people when it comes to our particular teams but neither are you i mean i think that's what makes fandom fandom exactly exactly all right ernie so Again, guys, great show today. We spent a lot of time talking about the playoffs. The playoffs have been juicy. I mean, I think the best playoffs uh, overall, probably in a couple of years. Ratings are sky high. I think the NBA is doing well. We spent a little bit of time reevaluating the 2021 draft. We didn't touch on things like an 80 to 1 horse winning the Kentucky Derby. That's true. Forgot we about didn't, that. We didn't touch on the fact that the Los Angeles Dodgers, my Los Angeles Dodgers, have the best record in the Major League Baseballs, despite the fact that nobody on the team is hitting other than Freddie Freeman. They have a team ERA of under two, um, but we'll get to that later on. Right now, it's all about NBA playoffs nba basketball game four celtics and bucks coming up tomorrow game four warriors and memphis round four curious to see what happens in these two games on monday night but gang again our instagram sports rivals podcast on ig and facebook sports rivals pod on twitter hit us up tell us what you think all the time we love your feedback but until next week Again, happy Mother's Day to all of you. The sports rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. Mm-hmm.